0: Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. Uh, and we're going to be continuing on in our study through the book of Acts. And I uh, hope you've been enjoying this. I, I, know, I know I have. And I think I've got, over the next couple of weeks, we've got a really interesting... Um, a really interesting section that I think is going to help us a lot, especially during these days. Um, this year, unlike years previous, I typically will plan out the year in advance. This year I planned very generically, um, and I just wanted to see kind of what would happen month to month. And it's been really interesting to see how God has been, has been leading. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm always, I'm always amazed to see what God is doing. Um, so we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've been looking at the beginning of the beginnings of the church. We've been looking at the calling and the uh, 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 and the salvation of Paul, and how the gospel has been moving into the Gentile world. And today, what I want to do is I want to start a conversation that's going to last a couple of weeks through Paul's first missionary journey. Um, but I don't want to look at it in the in the in the uh, normal sense. Uh, because why? Uh, everyone's been doing that for, for centuries. Why, why not look at it in a different way? So typically when you're going through a section of scripture like this, you go piece by piece. You take the missionary journey, you take every stop at every town, and you start looking at what's happening in each, each town. Uh, and as the gospel's moving forward, their challenges, the things that they had to overcome, how the Spirit may have intervened. I want to actually pull back initially, we'll, we'll get into those things, but I want to pull back initially and look at the entire journey together and see if we can find something or start identifying some things through Paul's life. And the things I want to be identifying are patterns and principles. And that's the title of today's message, Patterns and Principles. Um, when you're going through, especially the Old Testament, it's very, very easy to get lost in the details of the moment and try to try to create a doctrine around the moment. But God is much, much bigger than the moment. And typically when God is using his people and sending them throughout the, throughout the nations... There are certain patterns and principles that apply to all believers for all time. And it's really, really important for us to get a hold of them before we start getting too into the details. Because if you pull back and you look at the larger principles and the larger patterns involved, that'll actually keep you from taking the details and pulling them out of context. Because that detail no longer fits in with this pattern. So this is a pattern that God uses for all time, but this detail... In my mind, it looks like it's different. Therefore, my understanding must be flawed because God never violates his own patterns and principles. God does not decide one thing one day and then, oh, you know what? I've been thinking about this for a few millennia and I finally come to a decision that I'm going to change my mind on what this means because the wisdom of someone in society has opened my eyes to knowledge. That is never going to come out of God's mouth. The wisdom of that man was so amazing that I, God, will change my mind on this subject. It's not happening. God usually just looks at us in our stupidity and goes, well, eventually they'll get it. Or they won't, and that will be bad for them. But things like how did they approach their work? What was successful and what flopped big time? And what are the things that they always did everywhere they went? Now today, the principle that we're going to be looking at it's something that I think is fundamentally, and I didn't say foundationally important to us as Christians. And something that is actually, I don't want to use the word under attack because that has a connotation to it that I don't like. But it is definitely being resisted in the modern day, partially through COVID, but partially through the activities of, the, of, the, of, of Christians globally. And the, the, the principle I want to look at today is the sanctity of the church. The sanctity of the church. Now, this is a detail that gets missed a lot when you start looking at Paul's missionary journeys. Because we just read, we want to get to the good stuff. We want to get to where they go to the town and stuff happens. But we forget there's something very, very important right here at the beginning. Now, the first point that I want to make today, I only have two points for you today. The first point is this. You do not walk in the obedience of your own ideas. Do you realize that if you have an idea, if you have something, you know what, I I think this... I think this should happen. It's your idea and you want to do it. If you are doing it and even doing it well, you're not walking in obedience. You're just walking in your own idea. Obedience demands that it's somebody else's idea. That's obedience. For example, when you're at home, I'll give you an example from my own home. We have a puppy named Archie. If Archie is not careful, we're going to find out if all dogs go to heaven. Okay. Okay. Because if you have food in your hand, you have his attention. If you don't, you don't. And he don't care. So you can scream and yell, get in the house. He's doing his own thing. He's walking in his own idea, not walking in obedience. Our other dog Satchel is around. What is he, 11 years old now? Satchel walks in obedience because he's figured out they feed me, and the couch is warm. So you call him, and he gets his big yellow butt up off the snow, and he just kind of walks out. He walks in obedience. Archie don't, okay? So obedience demands that what we walk in is actually somebody else's idea. Now I'm going to apologize in advance as we get going through. There's uh, getting going through the message. There's two things that I'm going to be confronting, and I don't know how to do it other than directly. And the two things I'm going to be confronting directly are self-appointed YouTube preachers. We're going to get to that in a, few, in a little bit, um, and and the "I don't need the church anymore" movement. Okay, and how ridiculous that really is. We're going to we're going to be looking at those, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be plain, but I'm gonna to try to be to be gracious. Um, but in the days that we're living in. Grace for rebellion is starting to wear thin, <laughs> um, and that's uh, that's kind of where we're going. So I'm going to start off in Acts 13. I'm going to read 1 through 4. That's all we're going to read in Acts today, uh, but I want you to see a couple things that we're looking at here. So it starts off now in the church that was at Antioch. This is a church that Paul and Barnabas planted, spent a year building up. There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with, uh, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. Now, li- now listen, to this. you'd think that would be it, but listen to this last part. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. They sent That's a word we miss often. Sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. A very important point to to point out is that Paul and Barnabas were sent. They didn't just leave and go off on their own. Paul and Barnabas were part of a body. They were part of a community of faith. And that community of faith under the guidance of the holy spirit agreed that, that that the calling that the holy spirit had placed on them to go and take the gospel message was right good and true and for now and then they sent them they left not to pursue their own sense of purpose hang on to that statement they did not leave antioch to pursue their own sense of purpose They left to walk in the obedience of the call of God on their life, the call that the church agreed with and then sent them out to fulfill. This is the same way that Jesus sent the disciples, the same way that the disciples sent Barnabas to Antioch, and the same way that Barnabas went out to seek Paul to bring him back to Antioch. These are all people walking in obedience to the needs of another. Okay? This is important. Being sent out by a community of faith has a message behind it. And part of that message is that there is a leadership team behind you. That there is a group of people who have come up underneath you who agree with the calling that is on your life. They agree in not only that you are called to this area, but they agree that you are ready to go and that now is the time. Today, being patient enough to be sent Is out of style. But we forget that all through the Bible, there are people who jumped the gun. And then there are people who waited patiently. Moses jumped the gun by 40 years. By 40 years, Moses jumped the gun. David, on the other hand, was anointed king, but then had to wait 15 years to take the throne. He had multiple opportunities to get Saul out of the way to take that throne, but in one of the key opportunities when he could have just taken this guy out, what did he say? God put him there, God will remove him. I will not touch the anointed. God is going to have to take him off the throne himself. When he is gone, I will take the throne. That's pretty amazing. Now you think about this in another way. Jesus had to walk the earth as God for 30 years. The son walked the earth for 30 years before God would release him to the ministry that he was called to. Think of how painful that would have been for Christ. Walking through, going to Jerusalem for for Passover and watching the priest mess it up. Going to temple and and listening to bad teaching. And he couldn't stand up and pulled the God card. Now, there are a couple instances where scripture says that, you know, Jesus was missing and Mary and Joseph were like, did you see him? I didn't see him. I don't know. He was youth, And Mary was like, he was supposed to be with you. I can't trust you with anything. And they went back to Jerusalem. And where's Jesus? I think as a kid, he had just had enough. Because he's in the temple as a kid going, you guys got this so wrong. I, I, just, I just can't deal with this anymore. And he's teaching, the, he's teaching the teachers and they're all sitting there wide-eyed. like, The, the knowledge of this kid is amazing. And then Mary shows up. Honor your mother and your father. Come here, little one. I can imagine Jesus going, but I'm the son of God. (laughs) Fine, mom. Jesus waited 30 years. You see, God not only picks our assignment, he chooses the time. And when we get the time wrong because of our impatience and sometimes our arrogance, we can cause a lot of problems. A lot of problems. One of the benefits of having a leadership team around us is that they can agree and help us not only agree with the calling, but the preparation and the timing. It's also important that there is a structure around us to help us, praying for us, Offering material or financial support, holding you accountable for how you utilize that support, and maybe even training and holding you accountable for what you teach. Boy, isn't that something that's got to happen today. There are so many levels of support and accountability that have to happen for the gospel to move forward rightfully. There's a lot of places where the gospel's sort of being preached, but it's not being preached well. It's being twisted and manipulated, and it actually ends up not even being the gospel. It's hard to undervalue the type of benefits that this type of community gathering can produce. Now, if you go all the way to the end of Acts 14, what you find out is when Paul and Barnabas got the end of their trip, they came back, and when they came back, so the question I get sometimes, how do you know that they maintained a connection to the church in Antioch? Because they returned to give an account of what they had done. They returned to the place that had sent them to give them an account of what they had accomplished while they were gone. That lets you know that even the great Paul was accountable to the church leadership in Antioch. He felt a need to go back and explain to them what God had done with the people that they had sent out. This is just right and good. Unfortunately, this type of community commitment is not as valued today as it has been through the history of the church. Today, the battle cry that you hear from people all over the place, is just me and Jesus. (laughs) No, you got half of it right. It's just you. (laughs) I'd be willing to bet that Jesus isn't anywhere to be seen, because if he was, he would tell you to get back to church, to get back to community, to gather with his people. The reality is that people who just go off on their own are not really committed to the ministry that they believe that God has called them to. Please, please listen to what I'm saying and don't hear what I'm not saying. The people who go off on their own are honestly not committed to the ministry that they think God has called them to. They're committed to their own self of self, sense of self-importance within that call. You understand what I'm saying? It's not the work that God has called them to. It's their sense of self-importance within that call. You see, it's not just that the world needs the gospel. The world needs them. And if the church, if that religious institution is going to get in the way of the call on their mighty life, then one of them's got to go. That's a twisted way of looking at it. And it has never been the way God has operated. Never. Today, the ability to find an audience for anyone is ridiculously simple. Anyone with a cell phone and a YouTube account can suddenly become an online preacher. God, help us because I've seen some amazing ones. Now, when I was originally putting this together, I had a whole bunch of pictures of guys that I have found online and their YouTube channels, and I thought, that's probably a little too much. I probably shouldn't be doing that. So I'm not going to name anybody, but they're all out there, and they're not that hard to find, because there's literally tens of thousands of them. More often than not, these people are not connected to any church or governing body, they are completely unaccountable for what they teach, and unfortunately, they are almost always untrained. Almost always untrained. Most of these self-appointed YouTube preachers have the same testimony. They feel called to teach the scriptures. The church where they want, where, where they th- the church where they thought God had brought them, that was going to bring them into this grand ministry that they had. Wanted them to be patient and wanted them to get this thing called training? They wanted them to go through this process called discipleship? How dare they? Do they understand the depth of the calling of my life? The world needs me. No, actually, you'd be surprised. They grew frustrated Because the leadership of the church just didn't understand the anointing that God had placed on their life. By the way, these are real conversations that I've had, okay? And real testimonies that I've heard from people online. And by the way, when you start to hear someone give this testimony online, alarms should be going off in your head. I heard one testimony where the guy said he knew the church didn't want him to start preaching because the leadership and the pastor were afraid that because of the depth of his anointing, people in the church were going to start following him and not the pastor. So they squashed him, and he just had to get away from that religious spirit. Oh, boy. Because in my experience, people who have dedicated their life to ministry are always afraid of someone being good at it. We can't let this person in ministry, they may convince people to get saved and follow Jesus, and we can't have any of that. What I do know about ministry is you get younger people who feel a call of God in their life, and the older people, you know, the older who are supposed to instruct the younger, or let me put it to you this way, the wiser and more experienced to instruct the unwise and unexperienced. You know, kind of like college kids on campuses all around the world trying to tell adults who actually work for a living and make money and do productive things how they're supposed to live their life because they have all the answers? They haven't even figured out how to balance a checkbook. Some of them have never even seen a checkbook. Now we got people in Congress who've never seen a garbage disposal. This is the world we live in. I have yet to find a single one of these YouTube preachers that is not a theologic, theological train wreck. Theological train wreck. It gets unreal, some of the stuff they start teaching. One of my favorite ones is the guy who likes to use this. You know, you fold up money and it says, The root of all evil. Now, I can't even, you know, I don't know how he Photoshopped this thing together, but it's obvious this is a couple of bills all wadded up together to make this, make this work. This is why you can't trust the church. The church takes tithes. Tithes are made out of money, and the money is the root of all evil. First of all, that person obviously hasn't read the whole verse because it's the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money. Because here's something else that my money says. And guess what? I didn't even have to fold that one. (laughs) It's called clickbait. You put it up there to get people to click on your page. Oh, because, you know, Christians are suckers for conspiracy theories, especially anything that you can put the term Satan and end times in. You put Satan and end times in something and we will click on it and we will listen for no good reason. It gets unbelievable how quickly these people go downhill. And all of them have changed their first name to either apostle or prophet. Whenever anyone introduces himself to me and their first name is apostle or prophet, I immediately switch them off. Good afternoon, I'm Apostle Jorge. No, I'm not. Unfortunately, some of these people have become pretty big names in charismatic circles. And they have tens of thousands of followers, and people pour millions of dollars into their pseudo-ministries. I can honestly tell you that I have spent time in front of my computer and plainly weeping and praying for these people, both the teachers and the people listening to them. First, because these people are being deceived. These people are being deceived. Secondly, because these false teachers are going to have to stand before God and give an account for what they're, the lies that they're feeding these people. And the third reason that I've, that I've done it is because this, the amount of people who get sucked into this is just a sign of the amount of biblical ignorance that exists in the church Because anyone who would know the truth would be able to spot this stuff. And you got people who have been in the church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They don't know the truth. They can't even explain the gospel. So when people say things, in order to be forgiven of your sins, you not only need to believe in Jesus, but you need to be water baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because that's what it says in Matthew. Then you take the person to Matthew and you remind them, no, it doesn't. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you're saved. Guess what? Water's not part of that. Should you be baptized? Of course. Is baptized necessary for salvation? No! It's crazy. But people fall for it because someone sounds convincing. Now, people today are very disenchanted with the historic failings of the church. And I get that. I I understand that. You know what? The The church has been very, very good at creating massive problems for itself. We do it really well, and we usually do it in spectacular fashion. Historically, the church has not been the shining beacon on a hill that we're supposed to be. It, it, it's painful to say that, but it's just a reality that we need to understand. And if we're not willing to at least acknowledge the problem, then we can never fix the problem. You know, it's like the guy who's, you know, bleeding from his head, but he doesn't want to go to the doctors because he's fine. They don't even want to acknowledge the problem. The wife knows eventually he'll pass out and she can drag him to the car and take him to the hospital and everything will be fine. But we need to not get that far in our faith. Too often what we find, and this is is the secret, this is the big problem with the church, okay? Be prepared to write this down. Historically, the problem that we find in the church is that it is an organization run by people. It is an organization run by people. I'm going to put myself into the same category, because you know what? I've made mistakes. i got news for you. I'm going to continue to make mistakes, and some of them are going to be awesome. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to learn from them and move on. They're so yesterday. Let's let's focus on today and tomorrow. But you see, organizations that that are run by people are horrible. You know why? Because people are horrible. People are horrible horrible people are opinionated people are stubborn people are self-centered and they're convinced that they're the only ones that understand everything and i'm probably talking about you (laughs) because i know i'm talking about me okay One of the only things that all people can agree on is that we don't like other people. It's one of the few things that we can agree on is that people who don't agree with us are wrong, and all of us agree in some way, which would also make us all right and all wrong at the same time. See, the church does not simply exist to provide a safe space for like-minded Christians, The church exists to provide diversity of thought, diversity of lifestyle, to a point, as long as it's biblical, and diversity of background, diversity of culture, to all come together for the same reason, to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. We can't all do it the same way. See, the church is filled with people who are just as grumpy, self-centered, and difficult as you. And that's the point. That's the point. A community of faith is not a collection of lemmings who don't think for themselves and just walk along the path. The community of faith is supposed to be a diverse group of people. It's not a melting pot, it's a salad bowl. A salad bowl might have a lot in it, but everything has its own flavor. We all agree that salvation is by grace through faith in the work of Christ on the cross, and that what we are called to do is bring that message to anyone and, any, and everyone who is willing to listen. That's what the church is here for. We come together for the purposes of corporate worship, for corporate worship, not to be entertained. Sometimes we look around for really good worship. I want worship that is going to, to what? What do we want worship for other than a vertical offering to God? The main point of worship. This is one of the reasons why I can worship in any church, no matter what type of music it is, because it's not about me. It's not about me enjoying the music. It's about me meaning it. So we come together for corporate worship, so you get a group of people who mean it together, and we put a vertical offering up to God. Now, I think our music's pretty good, you know? But it's not about The rhythm. We don't need the groove. It'd be nice. I don't even know if I could do that again. Throw throw my back out or something. See, it's not whether or not we enjoyed the worship, it's whether or not he enjoyed the worship. So we come together for corporate worship for that. The second reason we come together is for training for the work of the ministry. We come together to learn how to preach and to teach. To learn how to help those in need, become aware of those in need to feed the hungry, and most importantly, to help one another live a consistent Christian life based on the teachings of God's word. That's why we come together. Because we can't do that on our own. When you become an authority unto yourself and there is no one helping you live your life, you are going to find a way of justifying any behavior you want. Because there's no one looking at you going, hey, 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 stupid. Hey, what are you doing? Obviously, my alter ego is Italian. Or whatever voice I happen to give to my dog at that particular moment in time. See, when we refuse to come under the authority of the church and we step out of the authority that God has established for his people, and I want to be really careful when I say this. As the pastor, when I talk about coming under the authority of the church, please do not take that to mean that I think everyone should just do what I say all the time. That is not what we're talking about here. I am not the answer to all the questions. Usually I have more questions than answers. We're talking about the authority of the church together, corporately, okay? So I I, want to make sure that that's made aware. But here's the thing. Every time I see a group of people break away from the church, I find the same reasons and the same results. I have yet to find an exception to this, okay? And here's basically the way it goes. They're part of a church, and over the years, they get frustrated with the choices that are made by the church leadership, Mainly because they're not the church leadership. So obviously, the church leadership's answers are wrong, and their answers are right, even though they have none of the details involved in making those decisions. They didn't feel that they were valued the way that they should be, or that their opinions did not have the weight that they thought they should have. And finally, at some point in time, different for everyone, they come to the point where, you know what, I don't even need to be part of a church to be a Christian. It's where it always ends up. You know what? I don't need to be part of a church to be a Christian. It's just me and Jesus. Now, by the way, that statement is actually true. You don't need to be part of a church to be a Christian. That part's actually true. But here's the catch. When they leave the church, every single time, I have yet to find an exception to this, they find other people who have gone through the same thing. Other people who have figured out that the church is the problem. That organized religion, that religious spirit. So you know what they do? They all get together. We've had enough of the church. So what we're going to do is we're going to start meeting in a home so that we can worship and study God's word, and then we'll pull our resources together and we'll do good things and we'll send money to missionaries and we'll put this, but hey, wait a second. You see, all they've done is walk away from one church and created their own in their own image. Because God forbid we should be submitted to the authorities that God has put in place. Or maybe we should be patient. Or maybe we should be committed to the community. Maybe we should be as committed to the community as we want the community to be to us. Hmm, It's weird. But don't worry. They're not going to call it a church. It's fine. They're going to call it a a pod or a gathering group or anything other than that. Anything other than church even though they do everything the churches do. But thank God they're not part of one of those churches. Because who would want to go through all the difficulty of having to deal with Christians who have a different opinion than I do? The reality is that the people who leave the church never actually leave the church. See, the only way to actually leave the church is to walk away from the faith entirely. Because the reality is that this building is not the church. We're the church. So the only way to walk away from the church is to walk away from God. The only thing that people who leave the church do is they leave the community that has been been there for them, that has supported them, because they think they should be in a position that they're not in and they get tired of it. God has not answered the call on my life here in this establishment, so I'm going to go make one of my own so that I can be valued the way I think I should be valued. Every single time, I have never found an exception to this. They get so tired of having to deal with people who are different than them that they seek out people who are just like them. And you know what ends up happening? Nothing. Nothing. The worth that they thought they were going to find by creating the church in their own image never, ever happens. And then what you end up finding is the call of God that was on their life. And if you've ever seen anything different than this, please let me know because I would love to see an example of this. The call of God that's on their life is removed and placed on someone else. I have seen this dozens of times. And the person who walked away from the church is always floored that God would move on without them. How dare God make a decision like that without consulting them? Does God not realize the anointing that's on their like? Hmm. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that there are not real reasons to leave churches. There are real reasons to leave churches. Bad teaching is one of those reasons. I'm talking about leaving a community of faith and I'm talking about leaving churches that do teach correctly and that are pursuing God in in healthy ways. This brings me to my second point and we're going to wrap this up. We cannot afford to let go of historic Christianity. What we're going to be moving towards when we get done with Acts is we're going to be doing a series of studies on progressive Christianity and the movement called the Emergent Church. And I cannot tell you how important that series of messages is going to be. Because, his, because uh, progressive Christianity is doing so much damage to the church right now. And people don't even see it. We don't, we don't see it. It's destroying entire faith communities from the inside. Because it sounds so good. And this is what I mean by historic Christianity. Caring for the sanctity of the gathering of the brethren is foremost in that. The sanctity of the church, the community of the, of the saints. Caring as much about that as we do about anything else. Because this is where the church is starting to fall apart. And I want to share a couple things with you. Some of you are going to get excited about this because you've been asking about it for a while, but we'll, we'll see. Towards the end of the year, I'm going to be doing a series of messages on end-time prophecies. I hate talking about the end times. Uh, if anyone wants to know what my end-time eschatology is, at some point it will end. <laughs> and at that point, we will all know how it was going to end. Until then, we have no idea how it's going to end. What we do know is what is going to be leading up to it, and this is the thing. There are a lot of people talking about this topic. But to be honest, the more I look into it, the sadder I get. The more I look into end times prophecy, the sadder I get. And it's not because the end is coming, the end is going to come. That's just the reality. The problem is that most of us don't understand that the bulk of the end time prophecies are about the failure of the church, they're about us falling apart. They're about the church walking away from historic Christianity. It's about the church looking at false teachers. uh, How did I I write this down? uh, Slick sounding, prosperity teaching, ear tickling, leg lengthening. Live your best best life now by sending me a thousand dollar seed offering false teachers. We're going to get sucked into that. And this is what I think progressive Christianity is. And the emergent church movement. This This is what I believe it is. This is the great falling away. Where the bulk of the church is going to turn its back on the authority of God's word. And the authority of God's word is historic Christianity. That's what's happening in our world right now. You have more churches around the world coming to the point where their pastors are actually declaring from the pulpit. That God's, that the Bible is not the, the timeless, timeless or inerrant word of God. It's the account of men in relationship with God, but it's not something we have to live our life to. Otherwise, boy, would this make, a, make, think about this, boy, would this make problems for us in society if we tried to live by this? Are we serious about that? I believe that this actually says in it that as you live for me, you're going to have problems because society's going to hate your guts because you're going to dare to follow me and not them. You see, it doesn't just get bad for the world in the end. It gets very bad for the church. And it gets bad for the church because the church turns its back on the authority of Scripture. And the best way to stay connected with the authority of Scripture is to stay connected to the body of Christ, the community of faith, the gathering of the brethren. Now, some people might be thinking online, well, then why did we shut the church down? I want to make a point very, very clear. We have never, never since this started closed the church. We've never closed the church. We simply switched buildings. We went from this building to a building made up of ones and zeros that you get to conveniently watch from the sofa in your own home while eating breakfast or drinking coffee or during the week on your phone. The church never closed. Today, with all that's going on in our world, especially this new Equality Act, the church needs to get their head wrapped around the fact that whenever believers are gathered, the church is present. We really need to get our head wrapped around that because that may become very important to our survival down the road. It's not about the building. It's not about the number of people. It's not about the music. It's not about a laser light show or a fog machine. By the way, neither of those will ever be here. I don't need one more crazy piece of nonsense. It's about him and his word and his church. Paul and Barnabas waited to be sent. They didn't go to, per- to pursue their own sense of self-worth or self-purpose. They went because God sent them. I believe that if the Holy Spirit told them to stay, they'd have stayed. Can we say the same? Can we say the same for the ministry and the mission that God has given us? Can we say that we are as committed to the community of faith as we want the community of faith to be to us? Can we say that we're as much a part of this as we possibly could be? Maybe your life doesn't allow you to connect the way you want to connect right now. Okay. Change something so that you can. Find a way. There are, there are options out there for you. And I don't have the time in the digital the digital age doesn't work anymore. That's a lazy way out of it. I don't have time to go to church. Fine, the church is in your pocket. You text people with your church all the time. Put on a set of headphones and listen to a message. Get on Zoom and go to a Bible study. Get on YouTube at six o'clock on Wednesdays. Come to the Between Meals podcast. Do something. We need to be as committed to this as we want God to be committed to us. I'm going to jump off right now because if I don't, I'm going to keep talking. And I don't want to chew up the rest of your days. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you're continually doing in our lives. Father, as we look into your word, help us to not bypass these important patterns and principles. And this particular principle today, Lord, the sanctity of your church, the value of your house. The value of the gathering of the saints, Lord. Help us to not get it locked in our head that that means coming here at a specific time and date every week, Lord. The gathering of your saints, not just on Sunday, but on all seven days. That we would not forsake this, Lord. And as we get back to this point where we can gather under one roof to lift up one voice to celebrate one name. Help us to keep our minds Focused on the goal. The goal is not to fill a building. The goal is to lift up praise to you. And to allow your word to penetrate our hearts. And to become the guiding principle of our lives. Help us. Help us to be at this gathering of diversity, Lord. Help us to learn to work side by side with. To serve with. And to pray for we disagree with. Change the heart inside of us, Lord, to be more like the heart of you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name.